This podcast is brought to you by Wikes Ferry Road Church. For more information, please visit WFRChurch.org. start this morning, we'll do just a quick review of last week, and uh, last week we talked about uh, the interpreting scripture, hermeneutics, the, uh, how do you make decisions about scriptures, you know, how do you, uh, how do you read a verse that says, greet one another with the holy kiss and not practice it, and read another verse where you, you know, you, uh, where you baptize in water and practice that, how do you keep some forms and not keep other forms. How do you keep some functions and not other? You know, what goes into that? How do, how do you read a verse that says, wear a veil or a covering, actually, uh, in uh, one verse, and yet we don't practice that now? So how do you make decisions about that? That's, that's huge in how we, how we interpret Scripture. And we typically, you know, it's usually it's in areas that are extreme, so we kind of know that there's some cultural things happening, there's some other things going on, but all that you have to look at is something cultural or is it universal? Or is it both? Uh, is it cultural that time that, that the word makes universal? You know, you have those kinds of things. So how do you look at scripture is huge. Uh, one of the things we said first is context is king because there's a historical kind of stuff happening around the place that uh, scripture is written. You have a literary context. You don't treat a psalm and a proverb the way you treat law document. You don't treat law document the way you treat a letter written to a church. Uh, so there's a literary context. What kind of literature is this when you read it? That, may, that makes a difference. Then there's, a as we mentioned, historical context. Like uh, when Paul writes uh, Timothy... The churches there at Ephesus, where when he writes Ephesians, what's happening with that church? Uh, as opposed to when he writes Titus, when he writes Timothy, and he lists things about an, an elder uh, and the and the qualities there, and those are a little different than when he writes Titus. Why are they different? Well, there's there Titus is a brand new church in Crete. He doesn't put in Titus they, uh, about uh, they must not be a recent convert. They're all pretty recent converts. But in the Ephesians, it's a church that already had existing elders. He puts that in there. There's some things happening in, in context and history around those churches that make a difference in what you write. I mean, he's writing, there's an occasion to the letter. There's something happening for which he's writing. He's just not pulling out abstract stuff out of the air saying this would be good for anybody to read. While it becomes good for all of us because it's God's word, it's inspired, it's living, it's truth. It means something to us, but before we ask what does it mean to us, we have to say what did it mean then and there, then and there before we say what does it mean here, here, and now. here and now. We have to say what does it mean then and, then and there before we say what does it mean here and now. It's the number one mistake most people make. Because the reason we do, because even on a subject like the woman's role, we tend to look at it topically and pull verses out. And, and make an argument. And when we do that, it's real easy then to not understand the context of which that verse was written in to begin with. Uh, just a quick example from this study, and then we'll dig into it later. But, you know, in Timothy, when he says, I don't permit a woman to teach, right? Okay, there's a context around that whole church. 
something happen? Is that every kind of form and shape of teaching and, and, uh, uh, deal? Well, you're going to have a problem when you run over to verses that say you teach. When you sing, you teach and admonish one another with psalms. That's the Bible. Hymns and spiritual songs. So right off the bat, we know what? Not all teaching. There's, there's a context to what's happening. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, just look like this if it does. If it doesn't, we can go like that too. There's a context. Otherwise, you're going to have a problem harmonizing a lot of verses. Not just on this area, but I mean in all areas of the Bible. Yeah, she can't sing. She can't sing. Right, that's right. That's right. Or a lot of other things. Uh, She can't instruct. Or prophesy. Or prophesy or pray, which later on they're told to do a certain way. So you're going to run into problems. So... There's, the, there's a history, there's a context. There's an author's intended meaning. The reason I always put this in there because sometimes, uh, especially when you study something in depth, you're pulling out great definitions sometimes, or Hebrew, you're defining things, and, uh, uh, and sometimes somebody will build an argument over that when that's not the way the author used the word to begin with. The author, when Paul writes something or or Peter, or whoever the author is, writes there What's his intended meaning? So, which means you've got to look at it greater than just defining a word somewhere. Since, especially since some words have two different meanings. You're going to run into it when we look at First Corinthians 11, when he talks about the head. We uh, immediately read in hierarchy and headship. And yet, it doesn't always, uh, always do that because it's going to be a metaphorical head in one Christ is the head of man. It's going to be like that. But then you're going to turn around two verses later and say he dishonors his own head, which is his physical head. Right? So there's more to to this than just defining a word. Plus then even the word itself out of the Greek. Actually, uh, uh, you have head. Some people read into headship, but also it's the word for source. The head of a river. The source of a river. Where that comes from. That, That that, it's used that way too. So you can't build, uh, all those things may give you insight, but you, you can't build an entire doctrine based on the definition of one word somewhere. You know, we'll be, we'll run into problems. So, so we have to look at what the author intend when he wrote this and used the words that he wrote. He used them for a purpose, I believe that. And so what did he mean? Then scripture has a center of gravity. Huge. Because if the gospel's first importance, that means there are other things that are not first. And I'm not willing to make them first. Worship style, I'm not willing to make it first. Uh, even this issue, I'm not willing to, this is not gospel. This is not the story of redemption. This is how we function with each other in marriages and in church, and we'll dig around and we may even uh, agree, disagree, whatever, but it's not gospel. Uh, Galatians 1, you know, somebody preached some other gospel, let them be accursed. I'm not going to curse people for other things. You know, the gospel is a first importance. The greatest command is the first and greatest command. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, uh, it says all the whole law hangs on those things. So, there's a center of gravity. So, what's huge for us in our movement that we learned that is that we don't repeat the mistakes that good brothers and sisters made in the past of dividing the church over every issue 
and treat it all like it was gospel. And so now you have you have churches that practice a hundred different things and won't fellowship with other people, and your circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller as you go. And the, and until you finally realize, look, if I'm with anybody very long, I'm going to find since the, since they may be smarter than me, they're going to know more scriptures than I do. Better. <coughs> they're going. They're, we're going to find some things we disagree on. It's not gospel. We can't let it. We can't let it disturb the body. We can't let it cause division in the body. Because the over uh, uh, thing is loving God and one another says something to a community outside of us. Our testimony and witness as a church is damaged when we don't handle conflict right. We lose credibility when we divide. And it hurts the message of the gospel. And so we can't treat every issue like the gospel. So uh, we can have unity and you can function together and you can figure things out and you've got to know that you can and it's okay to work at it. It's all right to wrestle with, with the scriptures and say, no, Mike, I don't think that. And, well, what are we going to do here in practice? Well, I don't know. Let's figure that out because we've got one body and we've got a greater thing to go about than this issue. So uh, keeping the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace is a much greater thing that should override where we are on a particular doctrine that's not gospel. Okay? Everybody got that? Like this, if you did. That's huge. It's huge for unity. Alright? The other thing is, uh, uh, in the uh, in hermeneutics, is to be full of grace and truth. Remember, Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 12, because you misinterpreted some scriptures... You ended up condemning innocent men. I don't want to do that. Uh, and in our past, we have done that. I don't want. I don't want to do that. I want to be full of grace and truth. That means that uh, that I want. I want grace from you uh, uh, when I don't deserve it. I want grace, and I want to show grace because God's treated me that way. And I want to. I want to dig for truth in a sincere. Authentic way. By the way, the word truth there is not always just objective doctrine. It also has to do with the sincerity of your heart. Worship in spirit and truth. That passage is not just talking about Bible. It's talking about the sincerity, the truthfulness of your spirit. And so, I want, I want both those things. I want to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. I want to be that way. And how we, we may speak the word of God boldly, but we must always treat people gently. Uh, and uh, the, especially, in, and especially in, even in, in areas uh, that are not gospel, you know, less bold, more gentle, right? Uh, okay, and then obviously harmony. Scriptures make sense together. They're not going to contradict each other. And so if I'm running into that, then I've got to go back and relook at things because there's some way that they harmonize. There's some way. A woman should not teach, and there's some way that I, uh, there's some way that she can. And what are those, and how do those verses fit in harmony? Uh, so you have all those kind of kind of things taking place, and then you always look at parallel passages. Passages. Are there other areas in the Bible that write on this other than the one I happen to be looking at here, and what's its context? And look at that from an overall viewpoint. Okay. So all those are involved in. Uh, uh, how we uh, how we study the Bible and how we study this this subject it's going to be huge to it. Uh, 
I do want to start by reading of, the, of a text. And uh, I'm not going to... Let's see here. <clears throat> this is probably... I've never, in my readings of people who study this subject or classes I've listened to, I've never heard anyone start at this passage. I don't think I'm unique. I just think people don't think about it. But when we talk about women, I would rather not be women's roles. I would rather look at this from women's value. How does God view women? And and what and what should that be mean to us in terms of valuing our women? in our church family. Uh, you can turn and read with me and notice specifically things in this section of Scripture. Proverbs 31. Now some of you are already recognizing this, what this is about, right? But do you ever think about reading this description before deciding other information about a woman? Look at this one. A wife of noble character who can find. She's worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. <coughs> she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. Her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task. She sees that her trading is profitable. I like to have a good woman that does smart business. You know? <laughs> right? And her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed, and she is clothed, by the way. I, I've always said it's the woman's job to make up the bed. I mean, <laughs> amen, brother. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Wherever you're listening, don't take I'm kidding. My wife is in the class. I do help make up the bed. <laughs> she makes coverings for her bed. She's clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate when he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom. Speaking here something. Speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. 
her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. And let her works bring her praise. Where? At the city gates. What a great reputation for a godly woman. So before we ever talk about maybe what a woman's restrictions or what we see as can't do, we ought to nail this one down really hard in our hearts and minds about what she can do. And and where she can do it, and what's going on in her business, whether she's running, uh, whether she's running a, a real estate business buying land, or whether she's a farmer planting a vineyard, or whether she's selling clothes, or whether she's in her household raising her kids, or whether she's feeding them for the night, bringing food for. I mean, look at this lady here, and ladies, you are valuable. You are valuable. You're special. And what a great, great passage of Scripture to talk about the greatness of a woman. I don't ever want to talk and study about the different roles without acknowledging this passage first. I just think it has too many great things about women and, 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 and it all describes different things about their role too, but just the entire beauty of the value of a godly wife and what, what that brings. I mean, that's, a, that's a neat thing. It's a great verse. Uh, now let's go. i got to buy a new Bible. Uh, Genesis just came out of maps. So you got to figure out to put that in the back in the right spot. So we're going to go to some passages uh, in the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 1. <coughs> Another place I think sometimes uh, probably uh, most people who study it seriously at all always go to creation and look at some things. They either go there first and see it from a viewpoint of what it meant in creation or they read into it from, at, from the references in Timothy and Corinthians. But it's better off I think to go there first and just see it in its context. Uh, Genesis in chapter 1, verse 26 and 28. Then God says, Let us, by the way, the whole Godhead's involved in creation, the Holy Spirit, the Word or the Son, God the Father, everybody's involved in creation. Remember John chapter 1? The Word was involved in creating the whole world. Uh, huge doctrine for us to be sure we keep on intact about who Jesus is and about the Godhead. Uh, so the Holy Spirit, He's there. The Son, the Word incarnate, He's there. The Father's there. The God, God said, let us make humankind is the word here, or man. Uh, and, uh, and actually the word Adam, but it's talking about not him specifically, but it's going to apply to the whole humankind. Remember later on, you know, Jesus refers to the first Adam and then he, that, that kind of thing, all right? So humankind, 
in our image, according to our likeness. Let them, mankind, men or women, both, mankind, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Ladies, go buy your own boat. <laughs> you can do it. You can fish. You can hunt. All right, look here. I thought this culture would love that. But we're making the bed. Okay. <laughs> Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, both of them, equally, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. So, this first part of creation, humankind is both male and female. And one is incomplete without the other. Together they constitute humanity. Both of them. They are a unity. They're humanity. And yet there's diversity within that unity. There's diversity in that unity. Sounds a little bit like the one who made it. There's diversity in that unity. Think about think about the Godhead. There's diversity in in this unity. Okay? <coughs> Male and female shared identity. They image God. They're like God. They are the <coughs> climax of God's creation. And they're unique to the world. Not like anyone else. So this whole di- idea that somehow or another animals and are, are going to be raised to a human level of rights and all that. It's totally, yeah, but man is different than animals. Mankind is created in the image of God. And it's, that's different than the other of his creation. And they shared a task to steward the earth and, to, and for procreation. And together they participate in this work that they do. They're co-workers in what they have, have been laid out to do. Okay, so there is this story of creation. Now let's look uh, in the Genesis 2, 15 and then 18 through uh, Let's look at that because we get now, kind of you get the retelling of the creation story again, right? So we got that down. Diversity is present. Humanity is male and female. Uh, and though there's a, though there's a shared task, there's diversity in that unity. Got it? And of course, obviously, the most diversity uh, is in how they're made, their roles. Physically, I think physically and spiritually. Uh, I mean, when when 
Well, we'll read this. Let's read this verse. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to till it, to keep it. Let's keep on down. The Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper or an easer, if that's the word. If that's a partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and birds of the air and every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found, here's that word again, a helper or a partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord took, uh, God uh, had taken from the man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man this one was taken. Therefore, now look, he instantly attaches it to marriage. <coughs> Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God puts him to sleep. He takes a rib out, and he makes woman. And he wakes Adam up, and he looks at her, and in the Hebrew, he says, wow. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know what word it is, but it had to be wow. <laughs> and he's thinking, this is a whole lot better than all those other things that walked by me. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I figure that I, yeah, the only sad thing about this, I'm just thinking how disappointed Adam was the next time he went to sleep and woke up. <laughs> <laughs> I go to sleep. I, he say, "Oh, I'm gonna wake up. Who knows what I'll get next?" <laughs> so, all of a sudden, there's there's humanity. Now, I already read this earlier, but they're they're both humanity. They're diverse, and yet there's unity. And he even attaches the marriage unity to this. But before there was men, women, there was husband and wife. That was creation. That's where it came from, right off the bat. So, the woman's unlike any other and uh, she is a helpmate, a helper fit for him. Uh, to walk alongside is the idea of the word. Uh, and so there's that companionship now that takes place that's needed. A relationship that they couldn't have any other way outside this marriage relationship. So there's the relationship there that exists. And so uh, she says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, one like me. Well, it's not like me in a lot of ways, but like me in that they're both humanity. Right? So then, what does he mean, you think, when he talks about both of them are created in God's image. What does that mean? That's a question you can just... We have a lot of the same attributes that God has. 
Something about us is like God. His image is some of those attributes. But we're not God. What do you think some of those are? Be able to create. Be able to create. All right. I think the ability that's right. to choose. Ability to choose. I think definitely. Ability to choose. Okay, yeah, relationships that exist, which I think that's huge. It's just seen in the whole creation thing of how that she relates to, to him. Anything else? There's moral judgment. Be able to reason. Be able to reason. Think through something. We're multiple parts. You want to elaborate on that? Body, soul, spirit. Okay. Different yeah. We're different from the angels. Body, Not soul, spirit. Yeah, because we're even different than that. Right. Yeah. Good point. Even different than the angels. Because obviously they could make some decisions about right and wrong, couldn't they? <coughs> but, they're, but we're different than that. No, we're different. So there's something about here, man and woman, both are in the image of God. So whatever their role that God calls us to do and whatever gender we are, we, we're going to be the image of God in that role. So that makes that role very valuable. You understand? Because you're displaying something about God in your function of your gender. Does that make sense? So somehow or another, this idea, and I think this idea may be even in our culture, that somehow or another we're going to eliminate gender differences is such a bad road to go down. It's terrible. That, uh, the, uh, that we're going to eliminate all those uh, for, uh, in culture that we're going to all of a sudden. I mean, look to the crazy things of cities making ordinances that say, any gender can go into any restroom. You know, if, if you read much of what's happening in our culture today, right. even those kinds of things. Look at what the look at what that chips away at. It chips away at the image of God. To eliminate gender roles chips away at the image of God. You get that? I think that's a pretty huge thing to me. So uh, when I uh, when someone starts re-explaining scripture that damages the image of God I was created in, then I want to take a real close look at that. Right? When culture is what's going to do that even more so. So, just to kind of throw this in, this is why... Gay marriage is such a destructive thing. It's not just as if it wasn't enough to be sexually immoral in any area, whether it's adultery or whether it's homosexuality or others that are listed in the passage in First Corinthians. Uh, the reason that becomes so damaging when you when you go into the acceptance and trying to talk your culture into believing that there's nothing wrong there that two men or two women can have a marriage bond relationship. Think about what you've done. 
It's not that you've just practiced immorality and said, oh, let's just forget this. It's not that. Although that's damaging enough. It's that you're, you're chipping away at the very image of God. So when he says, in Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians, talking about the men and women's roles, or husbands' wives' roles, of, of, of being together and loving each other. By the way, he starts with, you know, submit to one another. You know, submission is something that always goes both ways. And then in that diversity, our function as husbands, leading our families and, 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 and wives, nurturing, support. So he tells husbands, you know, uh, uh, to, to love your wife like Christ loved the church, right? And wives, submit to your husband. And the reason he talks about that, and he turns around and says, I'm not, while I am talking about marriage, I'm really talking about the church. Because you have Christ, and then you have the church, which is what? The bride of Christ. So you have a bride and a groom. And so when you, uh, when you start accepting things like gay marriage, you're start, you're, all of a sudden, you're also destroying the view of what the church is in relation to Jesus. Does that make sense? So, not, it's immoral. It damages the image of God and it destroys what is painted as the right picture of Christ and His bride. So, there's a whole lot involved in that. I know we probably came into this room you weren't thinking, okay, I'm going to study the woman role that you would get into that conversation. But that's where it goes. Because that's where culture wants to take it. And so, wherever you end up wrestling with scriptures about what that role may be, let me just be clear in saying this. Is everybody listening? We don't eliminate gender roles or gender diversity. And to do so damages the image that we've been created in of God. Now, how those function, we're going to wrestle and study with. But, but whatever it does, we cannot give in to culture redefining what marriage is or what it means to be a godly woman out of the very first section of, of Proverbs 31 we read. Uh, we do not let culture redefine that. Those are, are things we can't do. We'll wrestle with Scripture. They're inspired. We may not agree on how... The different roles function, but but you cannot eliminate gender roles from the Bible. It's from creation, and there both that both those roles or both those uh, the, both gender are invaded by the image of God. I mean, it invades and you as a woman, you as a man created, made in his image. And that means something. Think about it like this, Mike. When there was one gender, that was all there was on earth, that was not good. And God had to address that. That's right. That's exactly right. There was something missing. Yeah. Because this idea of humanity and men and women being in one union, having unity and yet diversity was from the very beginning. It was part of creation itself. There's equal value. I'm talking about value. There's equal value. 
but there is gender difference. And, uh, and I think our culture would, you know, all the political correctness that out there somehow or another wants to chip away at that, uh, at that thing being. Look, Paul writes in Galatians, when he talks about a person being baptized into Christ, that there's uh, neither. Well, you remember the passage? Somebody turn, turn over and read. Turn over and read that. Would you, Gary? Would you get that out of Galatians? Right. Let's just look at that for a second. We're going to do more on this passage later, but I wanted to bring it into the end of class here. Kind of think about for a moment. Because it's one that gets used a lot to try to eliminate uh, what women can or can't do within the church itself. Uh, and uh, I want us to look at what it says in its context. Look at, look at the verse on baptism right before and then read that through that. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now you get that? There's no... What's the first one? Jew. Jew or Greek. Basically, people from all nations. Which, by the way, that was a huge new message. That was a huge new message that other people outside of Israel could be saved. Right? So, neither Jew nor Greek. Okay. National. You find... Okay, what else? Slave or free. So, all of a sudden, people who are... Uh, uh, basically, you might say the word vocation, but you understand slavery and those that are free. They become one in Christ when when they experience obeying the gospel, when they experience baptism, this happens. Okay? And then what? Male, female. That's odd. You went from national to vocational <laughs> The gender. And now he wraps all those up and says, there's one in that. Now, no one here says that when you are baptized into Christ that you quit being an American citizen. They say your citizenship is in heaven. We have a greater loyalty. But as Christians, we're taught how to function as citizens here. Uh, while we're on earth, but we know our greater citizenship is in heaven, right? Even in the uh, slave and free, says they're all the same. Although, and I and please understand, slavery was a whole lot different then than what we experienced in America. But even then, the responsibility of of the masters and the slaves were to be like Jesus to one another. But they were to live faithful in in that role that they happened to be. It didn't eliminate all that. And then so when you come to male and female, you're equal in Christ. You're one in Christ. But that doesn't eliminate the diversity of how you live on earth till you get to heaven. And by the way, it heads us in a different direction because one day when you're in heaven, guess what? There is no more of. There is no more nations. There is no more slave and free, and there is no more gender. 
Some of you may like that, some of you may not like that. <laughs> You're kind of wondering, okay, how is that going to all function? Go to Bill Smith's Heaven Study. Uh, I, I can't explain all that. But, just, but look, the passage is not written to eliminate your participation as a, as a person in a nation, even though your citizenship is something different. It's just saying the gospel brings people from different nations, the gospel brings people from different locations, different genders. We're all coming Christ. We're one because of our baptism, because of our gospel. But that gospel unites all of us together. Does that make sense? Okay. So, women, there's great value. Look at 30, chapter 30. Men, look at that. And by the way, and you, look, you can't ignore it. You have to, if, if you read into your, if you read into the passage your <coughs> preconceived ideas, you're going to read into that where it says she has wisdom and great instruction on her tongue. You'll read into it that she can't teach her a man or a husband. That must be just her kids. But that's reading into the passage. Okay? Remember, we're trying not to do that. If that's true, let's discover it in somewhere else in the scripture. Let's don't read it into the passage. Alright? So, there's a great value. Here's a great uh, description of the value of a woman. And then here's the value of a man and women created in the image of God. We don't want culture to chip away at that. And we don't want to lose that greatness of what that means to be diverse uh, uh, in unity as God's creation. And we're all one and have unity within the body of Christ, having obeyed the gospel. There's great value there. So I think that puts us on some good, solid ground as we jump off the classes and talk about what those differences, even though there's unity, looks like. Okay? All right. Love you. Have a great day. God bless you. This has been a presentation by Whitesbury Road Church. For more information, please visit wfrchurch.org.